Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. And here's the deal. It's Maroon Friday, and isn't it wonderful that we live in a country we can celebrate Maroon Friday as we choose? I'm wearing maroon today, my nice and neat long sleeve maroon dry fit with the state script in white. That's what I'm wearing today. I don't know what you're wearing today. Got on some uh, camouflage shorts too. I don't care. I'm a dad. I still wear cargo shorts. I don't care. I don't wear them up to the middle of my, of my thigh, <clears throat> but I do wear them. And uh, it's very handy on those days when you got to cover a football camp and you put your bottle of water in there and your camera in your pocket and all that kind of stuff. So a lot to that. But I hope that you guys are having a great weekend. I hope it's a payday for you. It's the last uh, Friday in the month, so maybe you guys are getting a lump sum today. I don't know. 
get out and enjoy yourself. It is a open date weekend for our Bulldogs, which means that your good friend and host will be able to watch college football all day tomorrow. That's exactly what I plan to do. Might get up and go get some donuts and then kind of lay around and be lazy and watch college football all day long. I don't get to do that very often. Many of you do. I am not willing to trade with you, though. I love being able to go and do what I do. But when we we get these rare breaks during the season to watch other teams play, and, of course, there is no anxiety or, uh, shall we say, trepidation on open week Saturdays because we know, hey, there's no chance of us losing. There's also no chance of us winning. But we can enjoy college athletics. And uh, I love college baseball season because, uh, you know, during the week, I can typically watch a game of someone every single night. Just about every night I can turn on college baseball. And so I enjoy college football. I do. I think the reality of it is is that uh, we have a lot of people, if I can get my throat clear here, we have a lot of people that uh, play games throughout the year. Not all of them are entertaining, but there is a very, very nice slate of games this Saturday. We're going to preview them Uh, here shortly on the show. We're going to talk a lot of baseball today, too. You know, fall baseball is wrapped up now. Uh, Coach Chris Lamonis was in player meetings all day yesterday. I'm sure a lot of that is kind of the fall exit meetings. This is where you stand. This is where you need to work. Maybe we redshirt you this year. Whatever. And some guys may have got cut. I mean, that's just kind of the reality of life. But uh, that's what he was working on yesterday. I had to touch base with him on another matter that we'll discuss later in the show as well. But a lot going on, to say the least. A lot going on. Always plenty to talk about, even when we don't have a game to play. But I, again, I am very excited about watching college baseball this weekend. I hope that you can get together and do it with some friends. Or maybe you're like me. I can get kind of reclusive at times. You guys meet me out and you say, oh, Steve's so social and so friendly. Some days I just like to be able to retreat and maybe just lay in the bed all day and maybe order some pizza or something and just sit back and chill and watch college football, and that's the plan tomorrow. Part of my plan tomorrow, too, is Bulldog Burger Company. Now, tonight I'm going to get a steak at either Harvey's or the Grill, but tomorrow I'm going to get Bulldog Burger. I don't know if it's for lunch or for dinner. I just know that I have had a hankering for those Sloppy Joe sliders. That's probably a lunch tomorrow, probably. But I know this, I know that I can always count on Bulldog Burger Company to be the better part of my day when I go and eat there. I can go there and understand exactly what I'm going to get from a consistency standpoint. I'm going to get a great meal at a great price with great service, whether I'm getting it to go or not. You can still do that. You know, that became a thing during the quarantine, right, as we, you know, we had to get our food to go. And uh, at some some point, you can only cook so much, right? You like somebody else to do the cooking. And Bulldog Burger Company is still happy to do that for you. So you can get that to go, or you can go and dine in one of their fine establishments. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas. That great patio area, be sure and go check it out. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. I get them whether I get a hamburger or not. I always get the spring rolls. I can't go to Bulldog Burger Company without getting its spring rolls. It takes a lot of work to be this beautiful, and that's the key. 
right there. That's the key, the spring rolls. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking, and we all need more of that. I like getting that chocolate shake to go. I'm a big proponent of that. The dessert to go thing, I think, is an untapped marketing restaurant experience. I think that's where Bulldog Burger Company is kind of ahead of the game, is you can maybe 10 minutes to go in your meal, let, let your server know, hey, I'd like to get that chocolate shake to go. They'll whip that bad boy on up for you, and you can ride that ride with a smile. How about that? Bulldog Burger Company, the place for people to go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's look at SEC football. Reminder, Bulldogs, open date this weekend. Alabama also off this weekend. A handful of other programs are off, but you know what? We don't really care about them. So Arkansas at Auburn. I tell you what. I think this is going to be a sneaky good game, and that is the 11 a.m. game. I like Arkansas to win, but I'll tell you what. There's a lot going on at Auburn. You know, does, is Brian Harson and those guys ready to just kind of pack it in? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to believe that. A lot of people have said, listen, Harson's finished there. I think we all knew he was kind of a dead man walking this year. I think everybody understood that. There hasn't been as much chatter about it. You know, a lot of people have said, well, you know, maybe it'll be Hugh Freeze. I'm told that it won't. Others have said maybe it's Dan Mullen. I'm told that it won't be. But the reality of it is until they hire an athletic director, it's not going to be probably a good idea of what, what's happening. I think Brian Harson probably looks at this and realizes, you know what, it's not working out for us here. And maybe I'm working for the next job. Maybe. But the reality of it is, is that uh, things are not good at Auburn. The Tigers currently three and four in the league and one and three, excuse me, one and three in the league and three and four overall. You're going to have to find a way to win three. Going to have to find a way to win three of these last five games to get bowl eligible. And I think most of us would agree it's going to be next impossible. It's not that Auburn doesn't have talent. But every time you turn around, there's a new guy in the portal, and, and there is talk of a mass exodus at Auburn. There have been some reports this week that uh, Brian Harson is telling players, well, here's the deal. If you want a red shirt, you got to get in the portal because we're going to use you. And here's the thing, too. I know a lot of people say, oh, it's so unfair. Guys, listen, you sign players to play players. If you're needed to go win a football game for Auburn, you're expected to go in the game. Now, Harson can't make them play. I mean, you can't force them on the field at gunpoint. But I, I, I side with the coach here. I'm sitting here fighting for my job. I'm fighting for the Auburn Tigers. And you're like, well, I, I, Coach, I really wanted a red shirt. Selfish, it is. Because when you sign a scholarship and you sign on the play – you're signing on to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And you never know what the rest of life's going to look like. I mean, I get it. You wanted that extra year of schooling, and maybe perhaps you need five years to earn your college degree. I get it. But you don't sign and then demand a red shirt. Life just doesn't work that way. But Auburn, of course, will host Arkansas. Then they travel to Mississippi State. Then they host A&M. They host Western Kentucky. And then travel to Alabama and the Iron Bowl. So where do those three wins come from? I think it's going to be difficult. You would say they probably should get Western Kentucky, probably, and you never know what that team's going to look like because, you know, what if they – you drop the game this week. All right, that gives you a four-game losing streak. 
which means if you lose the next two, you've lost six in a row hosting Western Kentucky on senior day. And how motivated is that team going to be able to go out and get a win? And that's the thing I think about sometimes, too. There's a lot of pride in that Auburn program. And I think Brian Harson is a good coach. He just wasn't a good fit at Auburn. So I suspect they come out with some vigor tomorrow. Now, they're playing, I think, a better team in Arkansas. But I don't think you're going to see Auburn lay down. Now, they lose this week and then roll in the star won't get beat the next week. You know, you might see them mail it in the rest of the way. Yeah, talking to my friend Jason Caldwell, I have known Jason basically as long as I've been in this industry. And maybe that's not quite true. I, I thought about this earlier this week. I've been writing about Mississippi State since 1997. And I have been, uh, you know, with the same organization now for uh, 21 years. Coming up on 22 years. But since I have been affiliated, since Gene's page went from being an independent to joining a network, and we joined the Insiders, which became Scout.com, Jason Caldwell has been my Auburn counterpart. He is my friend. When I have questions about Auburn, I call Jason Caldwell. I trust Jason Caldwell. And so when Jason tells me something, I understand Jason's not being a homer. Now, Jason will tell me if he feels good about his team, but when Jason says something that maybe perhaps is, I don't know, considered negative, I trust it. And a lot of discussion about the recruiting efforts at Auburn. And of course, here's some people that have been very generous when it comes to NIL because some people, regardless of who the coach is, they love Auburn. We've got some people who love Mississippi State the same way, maybe not as many. But Auburn and Mississippi State are very similar in a couple of respects. Land-grant schools. Uh, got get looked down upon by the fans of the U of of their respective states, whether that's warranted or not, because you know we have Ole Miss here that has an Alabama you know mentality with the Vanderbilt Trophy case. But but he tells me you know, Auburn's got some problems on the recruiting side of things, and the offensive line is not good, and so they they're struggling to block guys. And one of the things that Jason mentioned, he talked about how difficult it was last year in the portal. Because you have all these veteran guys returning, and even though most of them have not played, you know, for the casual observer to look at their roster and say, hey, where am I going to play? I mean, you got all these seniors and juniors coming back. There's not a lot of playing time available. Well, unbeknownst to those players, you know, those guys that are returning are, you know, kind of roster fillers. And I hate to use that term, but the reality of it is, is a lot of those veterans coming back for Auburn were not better than, say, a potential transfer would be. You know, Auburn was very much in the mix for Mason Brooks last year from Western Kentucky. And he ends up going to Ole Miss and now can't get on the field. You know, that's a guy, too, that probably made the wrong decision. He he played in an air raid offense. This is not a shot at Ole Miss. But Mason Brooks played at Western Kentucky in an air raid offense. And then rather than go in the draft, said, you know what, I'm going to go play in a different scheme to kind of round out my game and show these scouts I can do it. Well, apparently he can't. You know, but if he had gone to Mississippi State – Probably starting right now. If he goes to Auburn, that scheme is somewhat similar to, to Ole Miss. They want to run the football. Maybe not have worked out. But they've got problems on the offensive line. And the Arkansas front and the Arkansas linebackers are very, very good. We've seen that. Secondary, not so much. But the linebackers and the front, very good. One of the top pass rushing teams in the country against an offensive line that struggles to, uh, to protect the quarterback. So, 
I do think Auburn will bring a fight. I just don't know if they have enough juice. And you know, we Arkansas, we kind of touched on that earlier. They have a chance to really go on a, sw- a streak here at the end of the uh, the season. You know, they're going to host three of their final five games, and then the two road games at Auburn, Mizzou, favored to win both. So you could see Arkansas pull together. I mean, let's be honest. If they get some breaks and they hold serve at home. Guys, they could be 9-3 and three at the end of the year. They could end the year on a six-game winning streak with the, you know, their last loss being to Mississippi State. So that's going to be interesting, to say the least. You know, I think odds would suggest they'll probably drop one of those games. they got LSU and Ole Miss coming in. Uh, both teams like to run the football. So can they exploit the Arkansas secondary? You know, I think LSU and Ole Miss both have some receivers that can. You know, Malik Heath having a good year at Ole Miss. Former Bulldog. Malik Neighbors from a Bulldog commitment, having a good year at LSU. Yeah, Steve, stop pouring salt in the wounds. I, I get it. But, I, again, I like Arkansas this weekend. And uh, look at the numbers here. Arkansas you know, favored, I guess, my, by most books, three and a half points. I think Arkansas wins and covers. And I, I really don't think in the end it'll be much of an issue for Arkansas to cover, but I think it's a late cover. I think Auburn will hang in there for a half, maybe even three quarters, and then we'll see how things go from there. But, uh, again, I like the Razorbacks. I think uh, Sam Pittman's group plays a very physical brand of football, and that's, that's a key. It really is. All right, second game of our day is Florida-Georgia. Ordinarily, I'd be really jazzed up about this game. I'm not. That said, I think Florida will hang in here a little bit. Again, there's a lot of pride in that program. They're going to run the football. I think because of the fact that both programs want to run the football, it's going to be a lower scoring game perhaps than um, maybe some of the odds makers have suggested. Maybe. And we've discussed on this show before about how Billy Napier is kind of a one-score game, one-possession game guru. He likes to manage games and kind of stay within striking distance. We'd all love to be able to do that, and sometimes Florida has been able to do that. I just don't think they have the talent to match up with Georgia. That said, the spread in this game is like 24 points. It kind of varies between 23 and 24 points. That's an awful lot in this game. I like Georgia to win and Florida to cover. I think Georgia is one of those teams, too, that uh, is really kind of finding a sense of themselves. And they have been a very quiet team in many respects. You say, Steve, I mean, they're a number one team in the country. And that's kind of the point that I'm making. Is Georgia is a number one team in the country and the defending national champions. And it's like nobody talks about them. It's like we've already kind of accepted the fact, okay, those guys are really good. And they had a couple of bumps in a row. You know, they struggled a little bit. They didn't do well against Samford. And that's right after absolutely destroying Oregon. And maybe they kind of took a week off. They blast South Carolina. They struggled a little bit with the Kent State Golden Flashes. Were we expecting that? No. And then they had to come from behind to beat Missouri on the road in Como. But since that time, Georgia had been rolling on all cylinders. Blast Auburn 42-10, as you expect. Blast Vanderbilt 55 nothing as you expect. And now they're going to host Florida. Well, it's really it's – it's in Jacksonville. But they're the home team. But because it is a neutral site game, and I think that the spread is a little bit ambitious, 
I like Florida to cover, but I do think Georgia wins. I don't think Georgia's in a situation where they're going to be threatened in this ball game. I could, we kind of mentioned some of this on Wednesday's show, but uh, you know, looking at the Florida schedule, four and three, and should be four and four. So with four games to play, they're going to need to get two. I don't think they'll have an issue getting Bo eligible, but I tell you this. Getting above six wins is going to be a real challenge. They're going to be at College Station against the Aggies, and and it's turmoil there. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And then they host South Carolina, and that's a game Gamecock team. Pardon the pun. They've won a couple of games I didn't expect them to, and there were so many people that panned the hire of Shane Beamer. He gets them ball eligible in year one, and they're in the top 25 in year two. That team is capable of going into the swamp and winning the game. Shane Beamer has those young men believing. And then Florida at Vanderbilt, that's a sure win. In my mind, a sure win. So you can guarantee that one, and then you're at Florida State, and you start thinking about that. Okay, you start doing the math in your head. Okay, so you got to get two. You get four to play. One of them is Vanderbilt. None of those other games are a certainty. And two of those three games come on the road. Florida State, four and three. You haven't heard as much talk about Mike Norville getting fired, but they opened the season 4-0 and and have lost three in a row. And all three of those to ranked ACC opponents. They beat up on Duquesne's. They sneak by LSU. They win at Louisville in a bit of a barn burner, and then they blast Boston College. So there's only been really the one game they've looked impressive. They get beat by Wake Forest at home by 10, they lose at NC State, who is a game team. You saw them last night come from behind to win that big ball game. They beat, they lose to those guys 19-17. And then Clemson, 34-28 winners. And so you've been somewhat competitive in your three losses, but losses are still losses. You know, nobody gets paid on moral victories. Well, this week, they're hosting Georgia Tech, who has been better as of late, but that's a game Florida State should win. Florida State then goes to Miami. I mean, the state of Florida this year has kind of been the battle for mediocrity, right? Florida's not great. Miami's not great. Florida State's not great. So who knows what happens? And then they travel to Syracuse, and Garrett Schrader and those guys who host Notre Dame this week have proven to be a very, very tough out. Dino Baber's doing a great job there at Syracuse. They host Louisiana, and then they'll play Florida. So when you start doing the math for those guys, too, they're going to be kind of where they have been. You know, Florida State has not been a great program. We talked about that at length when State and Chris Parson uh, was kind of, you know, beginning their flirtations. The Florida State has made some interesting decisions in recruiting. And I think sometimes Mike Norvell doesn't know the difference between a G5 player and a Power 5 guy. Maybe that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm being unfair there. But you look at this and say, okay, you got two wins to get. You'll get one this weekend. So I don't think there's any question Florida State will be bow eligible because they should be able to at least get UL Lafayette. If they can pick off somebody else, maybe it's an eight and four year and Norvell survives. I just don't think long-term it's going to be very good. But uh, again, that Florida game at Florida State could be a huge game for Florida. Year one for Billy Napier. Not great. Not great. Not in any jeopardy. Not trying to suggest that at all. And Napier's, you know, again, got to get his guys in there and kind of get guys settled. But, uh, you know, they're losing some big battles on the recruiting front too, which is – created a lot of angst in the fan base out in Gainesville. But again, let's take Florida to cover Georgia to win. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? 
we've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're, you're trusting your livelihood. You're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you got to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. You got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There have been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. It's been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. And then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering Quality hires versus their leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. Speaking of Shane Beamer's Gamecocks, they are going to host Missouri this weekend. Now, I really thought to open the year that Shane Beamer and those guys would have a losing record. I own it. They're better than I expected. And I'm happy about that because I like Shane Beamer. Shane is a great guy, did a great job here at Mississippi State. A lot of people said, oh, you know, his name was, you know, you know, Shane Johnson. He wouldn't be in his position. Well, no matter how he got there, he's getting the job done. Five and two. And then you look at this. They host Missouri this week. They travel to Vandy. They struggled with Vandy last year. I think Vandy. I think Vandy's about done. South guys, South Carolina could be seven and two here in two weeks. Think about that for a second. Seven and two already in the top twenty-five, which would set up a huge game in Columbia at Williams Bryce against Tennessee. That's November nineteenth before they play Clemson. I think that's a loss. But you can see how a lot of people will be excited. Before they get there, they got to get Florida too. So conceivably, let, again, it's tough to go to Gainesville and win. But you could have a situation where you have an 8-2 and two South Carolina team hosting Tennessee. Could be a big game. Probably the biggest game Williams-Brice Stadium has seen in many years since Spurrier was there. So happy to say that I was wrong about the Gamecocks this year and uh, happy for our friend Shane Beamer. I like them to win this week. I don't think there's much question about that. Missouri's defense is really good. And Shane Beamer spoke about this week. He called them lights out. Really, really good defense. But, uh, you know, Missouri now three and four on the year and not a winnable game left on the schedule, in my estimation, outside of New Mexico State. So, Mizzou... Again, that's a team that I think beginning of the year we all talked about would probably be sixth, fifth or sixth in the East. I think I had them beating South Carolina in the preseason. I don't now. We'll take South Carolina to win and cover. So Missouri drops a game this week. That would make them three and five. And again, listen, the last three games for Missouri have been competitive. They lose to Auburn by three. They give it away. Lose to Georgia by four. Lose to Florida by seven. 
and then they beat Vanderbilt by three. So we've kind of they've kind of grown accustomed to battling through some adversity. So Mizzou won't quit in the ballgame. I like Missouri to win uh, against New Mexico State, and that's it. They have a home date next weekend against Kentucky. That's a loss. Missouri then goes to Tennessee. That's a loss. And Arkansas goes to Missouri. I suspect Arkansas is going to win that game. You know, but Missouri, they'll have a game plan together. Barry Odom, of course, former Missouri coach. I'm sure his guys will be reared up and ready to go. The Missouri passing game might be good enough to give Arkansas a little trouble. But we'll preview that as we get a little closer to it. But, yeah, you're staring a 5-7 and seven at best season right in the face if you're Missouri. The Eli Drinkwitz thing is interesting. You know, a lot of people talked early on about how much – they said he talked a lot of trash. And where did that come from? What's the source of that? And um, seasons like this make that stuff kind of grate on your nerves a little bit. Okay, the 7 p.m. game, 6 p.m. Central, which is really the only time it matters. Kentucky at Tennessee. Big game here. I love the game. I love everything about this game. I think it's what's right about college football. Kind of got uh, contrasting styles offensively here. I think Kentucky realizes, too, they've kind of got a new lease on life. Maybe they're not going to be what many people projected them to be, but they still have a chance to pick up a big win. The spread in this game is interesting, though. Tennessee, double-digit favorite. Most books have it around a dozen points, over under 61, which is interesting. I think Kentucky will look to play a game like they played against us. The question is, can they run against that Tennessee front? Can they successfully get that done? That's that's really the question. And the thing that I'll say about Mark Stoops that is so frustrating playing Kentucky is they make you play their game, right? It's like they, they may not have the most offensive skill. They may not have the most explosive offense. But they're a team that does what they do, and they kind of force you to adjust. Now, Tennessee, currently eighth in the country in rush defense, allowing just under 91 yards a game. So Chris Rodriguez, that offensive line that has been beleaguered, is a pass rushing unit, did a good job rushing against us. They're going to have to probably bring their best effort of the year. In case you're wondering, Tennessee second in the SEC in rush defense, just a few yards behind the University of Georgia. It's interesting. So, again, Tennessee, a team that can stop the run, and Kentucky, a team that pretty much has to run. You know, Kentucky now 2-2 two and two in the league and 5-2 and two overall. I like Tennessee to win, but I pick Kentucky to cover. Now, a loss this week makes them 5-3. and three. Of course, they're coming off the bye week, so they ought to be fresh. Levis should be healthy. Then they go to Missouri. That's a W. They host Vanderbilt. That's a W. They host Georgia. I think that's a loss. And then Louisville at Kentucky should be a win. So you look down the stretch here, and you expect them to lose this weekend, which makes them five and three. They win three of the last four. They're eight and four, which is what I pegged them to be at the beginning of the year. I still think that's the case. I actually had uh, had them losing to Mississippi State. Said it for a year. I, I got on it, right? Tennessee, on the other hand of things, and what a great year it's been in Knoxville. 7-0, ranked third in the country. A lot of excitement. 
and just four games to play after this. The biggest one, of course, uh, next weekend against Georgia. Huge. You got to go to Athens. So right now, I'd say that favors the Bulldogs. But, you know, you never know what kind of shape everybody's going to be in. But, I mean, how much fun is it going to be to watch Hendon Hooker and the Tennessee offense take on the Georgia defense? The next week, Missouri travels to Tennessee. Tennessee then goes to South Carolina and Tennessee at Vanderbilt. So you feel like there's at least two more wins in that Final Four, which would make uh, Tennessee a nine-win team. But I think when you look at this and you're being fair about it, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. They're 7-0 now. I got them beating Kentucky, which makes eight. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this should be a 10-win team. Should be a 10-win team. And they've already beat Alabama. It's crazy to think about that. I mean, the potential's here to get 11. If Georgia's the only projected loss, you're looking at an 11-1 Tennessee team, which secures themselves a spot in the top 10 and potentially to playoff. It'll be interesting to see where Tennessee is ranked when the playoff rankings come out because, again, I think Alabama's going to get hot late, which will just carry Tennessee forward as well. So big game. Again, I think it's a little bit lower scoring game because I think Kentucky will be able, in some respects, be able to kind of dictate terms as far as pace of the game. But I like it. I'm looking forward to watching it. And we'll be flipping back and forth between that and the Ole Miss and A&M game. Now, Ole Miss is who we thought they were. That said, that running game is legit. It is. And the Tennessee rush defense has not been. I picked Texas A&M to win this game. I know a lot of people say, Steve, that's just craziness. And that's just you being, being a homer. And maybe it is. Maybe it is. The Rebels are favored by three and a half. And usually you get a three-point swing as the home team. So basically it's just under a touchdown. They're basically saying on a neutral field, Ole Miss is a touchdown better than A&M. Under normal circumstances, I'd say that's probably correct. I see that some books have got this thing now down to one and a half. So it's a little bit better than a toss-up in favor of Ole Miss. It has been an absolute dreadful week for A&M. I'm sure you've read and heard the stories about reports of some Texas A&M players smoking marijuana in the South Carolina locker room after the game is over. It's bad enough that you're smoking pot on campus in a locker room, and then you're on the road, which means you brought it with you. You know, that, that kind of stuff is a cultural issue, to say the least. And then there's uh, they've announced a couple of offensive linemen are out for the year. So it's been a bad week. That said, I think Texas A&M is going to come out to play. Now, I think what they have to do, I think A&M's got to avoid being down two scores at the break. Lane Kiffin and his staff, and to give, let's give Lane some credit, they have done a tremendous job in the first quarter of all games. One of the worst teams in the country when it comes to second-half scoring. But a lot of that, too, is because they've had the game in hand. If they come out and punch Aggie in the mouth – and get up, say, 17-3 to or 21-3, the ball game is over because Texas A&M simply cannot score. We all see it. You know, they would not have beaten Arkansas without a defensive touchdown. They were pretty much uh, helpless against us offensively. And Devin Achain is a stud, but this A&M team is 109th in the country in scoring offense, averaging 21.9 points per game. Just ahead of them is Auburn at 22.3. 
So they're having trouble scoring, and this all Miss team can score. And A&M's going to have to play above their heads. One of the things you look at, too, with all this, and you begin to ask yourself, how will Ole Miss do on the road? They didn't do well last week. They got off to a good start. But once LSU got on a roll and the crowd kind of got involved, LSU put them away. And they're banged up a little bit. You know, a lot of discussion about the health of Jackson Dart. Who, And give the kids some credit, man. He's not the most polished passer, but the kid's obviously a warrior. Ole Miss averaging 38.2 points per game. Like, you look at that and say, you know what, Steve, the math just doesn't work, and you're right. I just wonder what's Ole Miss going to look like. Who's going to get off the bus at College Station, Texas? If Jackson Dart's not 100%, how does that impact your play calling? And I think you've got a wounded animal down there in Texas A&M. I like the Aggies to pull an upset, and I think Devin Achain is a big part of that. I think the Ole Miss defense – And Haynes King is supposed to play. He got banged up last week. Did not return. They did a good job kind of behind him uh, with the younger guy. But uh, Jimbo says earlier this week that Haynes King will play. I don't know how much that's gamesmanship or or what. But the reality of it is, is Ole Miss should win the game. They should. But then when you factor in injuries to both teams and the fact that they got to go on the road, I'm going to pick the Aggies, and you can call me a homer, an Ole Miss hater, that's fine. But the line, I think, is kind of indicative of kind of what people think, that this is going to be a closer game than people anticipate. Now, Ole Miss could come out right out of the gate and say, you know what, we don't care about any of that stuff. They're capable of doing that. There's no no question about it. Ole Miss is capable of going down there blowing Texas A&M out because there's no way that A&M wins in a shootout. They just just can't. They're going to have to control the flow of the game. And I think the way that Ole Miss runs the football – will kind of lend itself to a lower-scoring game. The main thing Texas A&M can't do is give up non-offensive touchdowns. They can't allow – they can't have a pick six or scoop and score. Can't give up a big return. Just simply can't do it. they got to go out there and manage the game. And, and I think, again, A&M's players are going to have to play out for their ability. And, again, there are a lot of people in that locker room that have a lot of pride in that helmet. Maybe not some of these mercenaries they signed in recent years, but um, – there are some guys, and I think Devin Achain is one of them, I think Devin Achain wants the football. And I don't know that there are many people in the SEC that can consistently corral him. I mean, you, it's all of a sudden you swing it out to him, it's a 9-10 yard game. That kind of stuff, you look at it, and over the course of a ball game, you, you, know, you start thinking, well, he really hadn't done much. He doesn't have the big play, and he, all of a sudden he's got 150 yards all purpose. The over and under in this game is uh, right around 55 points. I th- I, I, honestly, I would take the under right now. And I think if, if A&M can survive that first quarter and be within a score or maybe 10 points, they got a shot. So I'm going to go with them in, uh, in the upset. And I, I hate to call it a minor upset because that sounds almost disrespectful to Ole Miss. It's Ole Miss 7-1, right? It's not like they just lost a game. And everybody knows that that schedule was front-loaded, you know, with cream cakes. This A&M team, you know, is underachieved, but it's not like they don't have talent. They do, but they're a beleaguered team. I could see the Aggies winning a close one or getting blown out. I don't see Ole Miss winning a close one, just my honest opinion. If the Aggie team that played Alabama shows up, comes to play, they'll beat Ole Miss a couple scores. 
if the A&M team that played Mississippi State shows up, Ole Miss will beat them 30. I don't think, I don't think there's much question about that. But uh, that's what makes it fun, right? That's what makes it fun for everybody. But that's your SEC preview. That's how I see it. And, again, your winners this week, Arkansas on the road, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. So we're going to go with four of the five home teams this weekend. And the one road winner, of course, uh, being Arkansas. But, again, I think that's going to be a very tightly contested ball game until late. We'll see. And if it's not – then Brian Harson may as go ahead and pack the bags, right? Go ahead and get it done. Just tell that cute wife of yours, you know what, go ahead and call the real estate agent and list the house because we're not going to be here uh, next year. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, CloseWithBlair.com. Listen, Blair's my friend, your friend, a friend of Mississippi State, a friend of those in need. There are many people out there today living paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes their standard of living is even worse than that. There are some people that have to pick which bills they got to pay this month. And some months, it's an every other month thing for some creditors, right? It's like, you know, hey, I don't have it this month. I got to pay this. Maybe get out of that. Maybe you've got some equity in your home you can use to consolidate some of that debt. Maybe perhaps you need some home improvements you need to get done. Maybe you need to just... Get some cash out to get some things done in life. Maybe you're going to get married. Maybe you're going to have uh, put in a pool. I don't know. You know your needs better than I do. But you're better off dealing with a mortgage professional, not one of these fly-by-night subprime lenders, right? Reach out to Blair Chandler. Works for Fairway Mortgage. Recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it comes to mortgage on origination. Blair has been in the industry 21 years, back-to-back, top 1% close ratio in the country. That's not just in Rankin County. That's not just in Pelahatchie. That's in the country. Stick with the winners. And that's what Blair is. Blair is my friend. He is a season ticket holder to Mississippi State in multiple sports, has a place up here. But you know what? Even if you root for other teams, he's still willing to help you. And because if you're a Boneyard listener, he's going to pay for your appraisal. Just mention to him by text or email or whatever – Hey, I heard about you on the boneyard. That appraisal's paid for. A lot of fees associated with getting the mortgage approved. Blair will be your advocate with underwriting, but also to arrange for that, that appraisal to be taken care of. Give Blair a text or call today on his personal cell number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Closewithblair.com. May have, you may have heard, but I'm a big Motley Crue fan, and uh, it was announced this week that legendary guitarist Mick Mars will no longer be touring with Motley Crue. You know, a couple of years ago, they signed the, uh, you know, the secession of touring agreement, and they went back on that after the dirt came out, and there was all this you know, new interest in the band. There is talk of a new album, and Mick may play on the new album, but he will no longer tour with the band. They're going to head to Latin America and Europe next year. For a stadium tour, and they're going to take John Five with them to fill in for McMars. And it does appear now for the foreseeable future that John Five will be the touring guitarist in Motley Crue. Now, a lot of people have said, Steve, it's not Motley without Mick. Well, it was Motley without Tommy, and for a while it was Motley without Vince. The only guy that's been there through and through is the leader of the band, Nikki Six. May not be the classic Motley. But there have been lineup changes before. Mick has been there since the beginning, too, so this is a real change. But at least you're getting John Five and not, you know, some guitar tech. 
you're getting in a guy that is, uh, number one, a fan of Motley Crue and a guy that knows his catalog and has been a friend of the band for many years. But today, I wanted to celebrate Mick Mars. So we're going to do a top 10 Motley songs that uh, Mick Mars, I think, was really the star. Now, one of my favorite country songs of the last few years, Mick Mars played on that one too. That's Outlaws and Outsiders by Corey Marks. If you don't know it, download it. You'll be glad you did. Travis Tritt is on there. Ivan Moody from Five Finger Death Punch is on there. It's a great song. It is. But here, are, here's what I did. I took every Motley album and took my favorite guitar song, and then I ranked them. These are not necessarily my favorite songs. This is where I think Mick has shined the brightest. Number 10, off the new Tattoo album, it's actually my favorite song on that album. Very guitar-heavy, the opening riff all the way through. It's amazing. It's a song called Punching the Teeth. Punching the Teeth. Punching the Teeth by Love. And no, I didn't skip there. It's Punching the Teeth by Love. Great song. Should have been a hit. Didn't get as much airplay as it should have. It's a different time in music. That's That one will get you going, guys. You put that one on. That's one of the reasons I put it number number 10. Because when you start this list, I want you to feel like you're on a roller coaster. All right, number nine from the Generation Swine album. It's Shout at the Devil 97. Not the one off the original 83 Shout at the Devil album. This is with with Electra Records. This is a a different mix. They actually re-recorded some of this. So Shout at the Devil 97 off of Generation Swine album. The Generation Swine album is the worst Motley album. I'll say it. It's very disjointed. You know, John Karabi had been fired from the band, according by the record company. Karabi gets fired. Vince returns. A lot of the songs had already been recorded. Karabi actually wrote some of them. And so you had Vince singing somebody else's lyrics. There's always something. And so I, I think the album, even though it was Vince's return, the album was terrible. It really was. And it was so bad that we actually have to pull, you know, a cover of a Motley song to have a song that I think is suitable for our list. I, Generation Swine is probably the album I have listened to the least. Okay, number eight, from the self-titled album, speaking of John Karabi, my friend, John Karabi, I'll call him a friend. We've hung out a little bit. I got his number on my phone. Uh, it's the track Living in the Know off a self-titled album. A lot of people may have thought I was going with Hooligans Holiday then. I'm not. And one of the reasons that when we talk about that self-titled album that I don't immediately go to Hooligans Holiday, of course that was the first single, and that's the song that people most identify with that record, and I get that. But there are some really good deep tracks on this album, and I think Mick really shines on Living in the Know. All right, number seven, from Vince Neal's least favorite Motley album of the classic Motley albums, and this is when everybody was on heroin. It was all this kind of crazy stuff going on. It was nuts. Theater of Pain. Vince even says on the, on the dirt that he thought there was only a couple of hits. And that's the cover of Smoking in the Boys' Room and then Home Sweet Home. I disagree with Vince. I, I think maybe he looks back at that through the lens of all the drama that surrounded the band at the time. You know, Vince had had the wreck, killed Razzle Dingley from Hanoi Rocks, and Nikki Six died. Yeah, there was a lot going on. But I went with Tonight, We Need a Lover. I think Mick is outstanding. I think this is, without a doubt, his shiny moment on this 
album. The, the guitar solo on, Boy, on uh, Smoke in the Boys' Room is fantastic, too. But I think this album is maybe a little bit better than Vince gives it credit for. And I think maybe for fans like me, we were just so happy to have the sequel to Shout at the Devil out. And there was so much turmoil going around around the band, and we wondered if we were even going to have another album. All right, number six, going back to the beginning. Off the Too Fast for Love album, it's Livewire, which was uh, one of the first songs the band's ever ever rehearsed together. And uh, it's a great tune, and I think Vince does a great job vocally on this one, but I think, I think Mick is the star. That opening riff really right out of the gate kind of lets you know what's going on. Shout at the Devil. Now, this is really the album. I've been a Motley fan from the beginning, but Shout at the Devil is the one that says, you know what, there's something different about these dudes here. Every song on this album could have been a single. Like, they're just some complete albums. I think this is Motley's most complete album. We could go a lot of different directions here, but since we're going guitar-centric, we're going with my, one of my favorites. It's Knock em Dead Kid. That opening riff just pulls you in, and right away you understand this is a heavy metal band. This isn't, this isn't Poison. It's not. This isn't Hanson. This isn't Glass Tiger. It's Motley Crue. All right, number four on the list, the title track from many people's favorite Motley album. Oh, of course, it's Girls, 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 right? I, I think the solo on this is amazing. We, one of the things, there are a lot of people from that time in music where basically, you know, the solo was really a narcissistic pursuit, right? I think what makes Mick so great with Motley is his solos fit the songs. There are a lot of people, it's like, hey, we've got verse, we got, we got you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then we'll just kind of throw a solo here. What's he been working on? And so all of a sudden, there's all this tapping and there's all this great technical showmanship, but it didn't match the song. I think the, the guitar solo on Girls, Girls, Girls is a great example of a guitarist playing within the parameters of a song and absolutely nailing the solo. All right, number three, a more recent selection. And again, it's a title track, maybe an album you're not quite as familiar with, but you should be. It's the Saints of Los Angeles. I absolutely love this guitar riff. I, and again, this is a song many of you maybe you haven't heard. Yeah, you know, I've got a Motley Crue leg sleeve, and uh, got the album cover, the letters from the album cover on my back calf there, for Saints of Los Angeles. Maybe you listen to the gang vocal. There's some more familiar voices that more from modern rock that are in there. But Saints of Los Angeles is a great song, one of Vince's best vocal deliveries since the reunion, is on this track. Yes, it's a studio. I get it. But I think Mick Mars carries the song. Absolutely love it. Number two, from the Greatest Hits album. And if you're a Motley fan, you know exactly what I'm picking here. It's Primal Scream. I think when you begin to run through this, when the Mick Mars catalog, like, like when we all get to heaven and we get to see everybody's highlight reel, Primal Scream will be one of the first things that's played on the Mick Mars reel. And I think some of this, too, was on the Girls, Girls, Girls tour, uh, Whitesnake did a lot of the opening stuff. Whitesnake went out with Motley. Motley was the biggest band in the world at the time. Whitesnake was really, really getting going. It was an incredible bill to see Whitesnake and Motley together. But I think all that time on the road together, I think you can hear a little bit 
of Whitesnake and Mick. I think there was some influence from hearing Whitesnake play their set every single night, and then Mick, while on the road, comes up with this great riff that ultimately became Primal Scream. An amazing song, an amazing riff. But number one for me, and I mentioned this on Twitter, so you probably should, if you follow me on Twitter, you're not surprised. It's Dr. Feelgood. How can you, like, how can a person listen to Dr. Feelgood and not react? I remember years ago when MTV played music, I remember Janet Jackson, of all people, who I love, and uh, who is one of the most beautiful women in the world of my generation. There's no question about it. Ultra talented, can do a lot of amazing things. But she said what a big fan she was of Motley Crue, and specifically this song. She says, I don't know how you can hear a song like Dr. Feelgood and not feel the urge to move. And that's how I see this. Again, it's blues, it's amplified blues, but at the end of the day, Dr. Feelgood, that opening, you know, the the absolutely hard-charging bass line, and then there's Mick over the top of it. It is an incredible song. And, uh, you know, I have Wild Side as my license plate, and people ask me, why Wild Side? Well, Dr. Feelgood wouldn't fit. But Wild Side didn't make our list today because I think that the work on the Girls, Girls, Girls song was a little bit greater than Wild Side. I can play part of Wild Side. Maybe that says more about Mick than it does me. But uh, Dr. Feelgood, the number one Mick Mars song. So Mick will miss you. It makes me even more bummed. I had to, had to miss the Motley show in Atlanta. We were supposed to take a cruise that week, and my youngest got COVID, and so we ended up not being able to go. I'd already told my buddy Sam Denton I couldn't make the, the trip to go see Motley in Atlanta. I didn't feel right about that, having somebody in my house that had COVID. I just didn't feel right about that at all. And so now I'll never get to see Mick play live again. And that, that bums me out. So we're going to celebrate Mick today. And anytime we can talk Motley on the show, we're happy to do it. So that's your top ten list. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out to my friend, your friend, Roy Samante, on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can also find our great list on Spotify using that same username, Dogmatic67. Again, very appreciative of Roy and his contributions to our show. And he is now gainfully employed, so congratulations, Roy. We knew you wouldn't stay in the job market long. So congratulations to Roy, and uh, always happy to have uh, you guys along, and thanks for your support of the top ten list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at Campus Bookmart. You know Campus Bookmart well, and if you don't, you should. Great people doing a great job for a great fan base. The most Mississippi State merchandise available anywhere in the known universe. Be sure and go check them out. The new bully shop, completely renovated. It's now upstairs. You don't have to walk downstairs. You know, it's built into a hill there. Kind of interesting. But the bully shop is upstairs. They've expanded their selection. Go by and check them out next time you're in town. If you can't make it to town, perhaps you live uh, out of state and you don't get back to Starkville very often, which is a shame. You can still support a great Starkville business by visiting them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And we'll give you a phrase that pays. Just by being a loyal Boneyard listener, you can use the promo code BSR, which gets you free shipping on all orders over $75. It's a great value. You're going to spend $75 anyway. We're going to pay for shipping for you. We're going to just knock that right out out of the top of the price for you. Goodness gracious. Very easy to do. But again, that's promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. Campus Bookmark, promo code BSR. All right, let's talk a little bit of recruiting. You know, when we get into the season, things slow down a little bit because everybody is in game mode. 
which is the entire point, right? The whole point is to win football games. Recruiting is a means to an end. How you recruit is a direct reflection on how you play. And so when we get into the season, guys are playing their games. Coaches are more focused on what pays the bills, which is winning games. But there's still a lot of recruiting going on. Your Bulldog coaches are out and about. Last night, Mike Leach and Tony Hughes in Fulton, Mississippi. As you guys know, State is recruiting safety Isaac Smith. He's a four-star prospect. A lot of people believed in the beginning he was headed to Ole Miss. His mom graduated from Ole Miss. His dad played linebacker at Ole Miss. Oh, he's definitely going to Ole Miss. And then something changed to him in Ole Miss. He stopped mentioning Ole Miss. Ole Miss wasn't really recruiting him. He took an official visit to Vanderbilt. You guys know I'm a huge Isaac Smith fan, and when you look at the safety situation at Mississippi State with so many guys leaving this year, Isaac Smith has the opportunity to play a great deal next year as a true freshman, not just because of State's needs at the position, but because he is talented enough to play as a true freshman. Isaac Smith is a future NFL guy, provided he works hard and stays healthy. That's the kind of talent that he is. Mike Leach goes out, and as somebody pointed out today, and at first I didn't think it was correct, I did a little research. The very first high school football game that Mike Leach attends in the state of Mississippi as the Mississippi State football coach is to see Isaac Smith. That's interesting, right? I mean, that's what really motivates coach to get out and go. In 2020, of course, we weren't able to go. Uh, last year, the way the schedule went, it was difficult to get out and do a lot of traveling. He went out and saw some guys but didn't attend a lot of games because he got to get back and, and get ready to coach, right? That's a head coach. You, don't, you didn't do a lot of contact uh, during the evaluation period as a head coach last year. So he goes out to see Isaac Smith. And, of course, they also recruiting 2024 offensive lineman Isaiah Autry. Now, earlier today, Mississippi State extended a – preferred walk-on offer to Itawamba quarterback. Uh, his name is Ty, and, and I apologize for not being prepared here, but um, I've got it right here in front of me now. It's Ty Davis. Ty Davis, 6'3", 202 pounds from Itawamba. A preferred walk-on offer has been extended. And also, uh, Ty, a good friend of Isaac Smith. So it's good recruiting there, and uh, you recruit those guys, and maybe perhaps they come together. But I like where State sits with this. My best source on the topic says LSU is a real threat there, and then they've got some safeties committed, as does Ole Miss. And so a lot less competition for Isaac Smith in this recruiting class for Mississippi State. So we do expect State to be a real factor with him. We expect him to take an official visit here. There is some discussion. He may visit Ole Miss, will likely visit LSU. Again, he's already visited Vanderbilt. He went out to Texas A&M for a game two. So there is some, um, some room left to fill in the class and some opportunities to get him in for an official visit. So we'll see how that goes. Now, uh, also last night, Coach Jeff Phelps, defensive line coach Jeff Phelps, was in, in Louisville or at Louisville. Uh, to watch Gabriel Moore play. Gabriel Moore, the younger brother of former Bulldog commitment, Charles Moore, and Charles has kind of taken the circuitous path. Uh, decommits from State, signs with Auburn, then transfers to Oregon State, then transfers to Marshall that ends up at Butler Community College. Not sure what Charles is doing now. But there are a lot of people that say, you know what, he'd have been better off to stick on Mississippi State. I think that's a factor. 
Gabe Moore was committed to Troy shortly after he gets the offer from Mississippi State. He backs off of that commitment to Troy. And it does appear that State is the team to beat. I think it's just simply a matter of time. And Jeff Phelps going out there again shows Mississippi State's interest level in him. That's a big part of things. You know, and State could fill their defensive line needs right here in the State. I mean, you get Joseph Head, feel great about him. You get Gabe Moore, you get Caleb Bryant, and maybe you get you a junior college guy, and you've done really well. And you say, you know what, hey, why not get a portal guy? Maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe instead of a junior college guy, you get him. But there are three very high caliber, really four high caliber defensive linemen in the state of Mississippi. I like Jamarius Brown, too, who's committed to Ole Miss. State's still on him uh, a little bit, too. But we were told from the outset that if he stayed in state, he would likely be to Ole Miss. Not the biggest kid, but an explosive kid. I wish he was a part of our class. Uh, so I'm not one of those kind of people that when a kid commits to Ole Miss, all of a sudden they lose their, their, uh, their talent. Guy can really play. But uh, a little bit closer to six foot than maybe to what he's listed. But the uh, reality of it is guy can really play. So State could, do, could close really well in State. Now, Gabe Moore is not a guy that's going to move the needle from a ranking standpoint. But much like Calvin Dinkins last year, you know, he's a guy that is really kind of coming to his own as a senior so his actual you know, ranking may not be truly indicative of his overall talent. So excited about him. Now, Dante Dowdell, running back from Picayune, we've talked about him extensively. He's a guy I think early on State should have offered. They didn't. He commits to Oregon. A lot of Ole Miss people thought he was going to commit there. He didn't. Now there's discussion about him taking an official visit to Mississippi State. Coach Jason Washington expected to be down there uh, this evening to watch the game, Picayune. Maroon Tide, always a very run-heavy offense down there. And there were a lot of people, too. And I've been doing this a long time. I told you guys before. I mean, I've been writing about Mississippi State since 97 and covering recruiting now over 20 years. There have been a lot of great and running backs over the years that have been products of a great system. Because nobody plays better with a lead. I would say Picayune and West Point in Mississippi probably play better with a lead than anybody else. They do a great job of shortening the game on you. They get they get a two-digit score lead on you. They're not going to throw the football again. They're just going to line up an unbalanced line, and they're going to beat you to death. They're going to pulverize you and pick you and probably does that better than anybody. And that's not a shot at West Point. They do a tremendous job. Coach Chris Chambliss, uh, one of the better coaches in the state of Mississippi. But Jason Washington will be down there. That's your running backs coach. There's a lot of discussion early on with Dowdell. Is he a linebacker? What's he going to be? Is he a safety? Is he a running back? Can he catch a football? And that was a real concern, you know, because they don't throw it a lot down there. And then you see Dowdell at some of these combines and camps, and he's able to do that. He is athletic enough to fit every single talking point the Mississippi State wants when it comes to recruiting a running back. So uh, they'll be there, and uh, a handful of other guys out there will be on the road uh, this weekend too. And by the time that you guys hear this, that may have already come and gone. Um yeah, um, Mike Leach and Mason Miller will be in Tupelo tonight. So Mike Leach going to go over to Tupelo. And listen, and I'll be honest with you too, you, know, you don't do an awful lot for um, appearances, right? But Mississippi State and Tupelo has a shared loss you know, with the passing of Sam Westmoreland. So I think it's smart for Mike to go, not just because, well, you know, he needs to, no, he needs to be there. He needs to show those people that he cares. And Zay Alexander, of course, uh, you know, a guy that's, committed to Mississippi State, playing the best football of his high school career. So Coach Leach will be there. And Ty Jones, 
one of the more unheralded guys in the class. But uh, when you look at Ty Jones, when you see him in person, many of you are going to see him uh, for the first time tonight as they play Taylorsville. You're going to be like, wow, this kid's phenomenal. And he is. I think he's a linebacker on the next level, but he's a guy, too, that could play running back if needed. Uh, Zach Arnett and Matt Brock will be down to see him uh, tonight. And uh, so that's big. So, you know, we'll see how things go. Obviously, it's the bye week, so you don't have a game tomorrow. So you got to get out and go see players, and Mississippi State is doing that. And a lot, to be honest with you, there's not a lot gleaned from going to watch a guy play in person if you're a college coach, right? A lot of times you're going there, really, it's to show the young man your level of interest. You're not, from an evaluation standpoint, you can see all that on huddle, right? Now, I've said for many years that uh, I think the best way to evaluate a player as, as a scout is to go to the games and see how they act when, when things aren't going their way. You can learn a lot by being on the sidelines. The difference is your college coaches talk to these guys all the time. They text them all the time. Uh, they're having Zoom calls with them and things like that. So you have the opportunity to get to know who they are as people, and then you can kind of validate your approval of them when you watch them play a game and you can evaluate their talent. So you go down there, and you're not going to learn a lot about the player that you don't already know, but it means a lot to that young man in that community that, oh, my goodness, you know, these Mississippi State coaches have come to see us play. They could be anywhere in the world, but instead they're in small-town Mississippi watching you play. I think that's an important aspect of it, too. And, and I've had probably a dozen people send me pictures of themselves with Mike Leach last night in Fulton. So you get out in the community, and it shows people that you're committed to that young man, but also, too, you're not too good to go to the game, right? That's a big part of recruiting. And that's where I give Dan Mullen and his staff a lot of credit They were on the road, man. On on Friday nights, when they had the opportunity, they would get out and go see players play. And it wasn't just to go see them. It's so the prospects could see them on the sidelines or in the stands. It's an important part of things, very important part of things, to show that you're making the effort. So uh, excited about this class, what it could be. Still got some work to do. As I shared with you guys on Wednesday, probably going to sign about nine more players. And uh, some of the guys we mentioned today could be in that mix. So there you go. There's your recruiting update. Is always brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Let's thank our friends at Portico. If I was moving to Starkville, I would move to Portico. And don't think sometimes when I don't look around here, I think, you know what, maybe I should just sell this house and go. Uh, Portico, so conveniently located to the Mississippi State campus. 1.1 miles away, very easy to get to. Uh, right off of uh, 12. You take the turn off 82 on 12, like going towards campus. It's the very first ride. It's, it's Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stop, Boomer's Portico. Some two-bedroom, two-bath homes right there in the beginning. You get a little deeper into that in phase one, and you see some bigger homes. So you can get maybe a little secondary home for yourself there, or maybe you get your primary residence. Maybe it's your future retirement home. The folks at Portico can accommodate you. They can give you a custom build. There's no question about it. It's an exciting opportunity for you to be a Starkville resident, even on a part-time basis. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, under construction now. Many of those homes are already sold. They're not, but they, they still got room for you. You can still pick out a lot and say, hey, hey, guys, this is what I want. This is what I have to have. And they can accommodate you. It's not a cookie-cutter development. You can have some say in how that home is built. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico 
your next move. And you know, Brooks Bryan played baseball at Mississippi State. So what a great segue into our final segment of the show as we talk about Mississippi State College baseball. Fall baseball uh, winding up. As you guys know, we'll be back in action February 17th against VMI. That's Valentine's Day weekend. So we'll celebrate Valentine's Day, and then we'll go on out to the dude for a three-game set against VMI. Now, there are a lot of new names, and I want to kind of give you a little bit of an update, I guess, on this. So I mentioned at the top of the show that I reached out to Chris Amonis yesterday. I'm a huge Chris Amonis fan, very grateful to Chris for everything he's done. Chris is a great fit at Mississippi State. I think anybody that's been around him understands that. Of course, his dad came to Mississippi State. He's born in Starkville. But the reality of it is, is Chris's value system kind of matches ours. And so, and he's a guy, too, that's obsessed with baseball. And to be the coach at Mississippi State, you have to be. But I reached out to Chris yesterday because uh, I got to thinking. I said, you know, I haven't checked on this thing with Tyler Davis and Connor Hyzak for a while. And you may remember that those guys were at VCU and the transfer portal deadline for spring athletes was July 1st. Well, about 10 days later... Sean Stifler, who I think is a rising star in the college baseball ranks, had a great opportunity to talk to him uh, during the regional a couple years ago. Took the job at Notre Dame. Well, now all of a sudden, these kids at VCU are kind of thrown into a flux. It's like, well, yeah, I wasn't going to transfer, but now you bring in a new coaching staff. I don't know these guys. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what my role is going to be. And, you know, maybe I'm just better off going somewhere else. So they elect to go in their transfer portal. There were four players. One, of course, went to Virginia, one to LSU, uh, and then a couple to Mississippi State. There were multiple schools involved. Mississippi State, from what I understand, kind of took the lead in this matter. And everybody else just kind of went through the same, you know, waiver rabbit hole that State did. And it says a lot about our compliance staff that we're able to kind of get this thing done. But there was some concern that perhaps those guys would not be cleared because the athletic director, uh, Mr. McLaughlin, I can't remember his first name, uh, at VCU had come out really in support of his coach. Now, I'm going to read between the lines a little bit here because he said, hey, you know, they're not going to get a runoff waiver. And it's kind of like you had with Andy when we had women's basketball when Andy transferred from UConn to State. They didn't renew her scholarship, so – she had to get a waiver, right? And it was an easy one to get, give Bracky Brett a lot of credit for figuring out, you know, the best way to get that done. So the, the AD at VCU is like, hey, we're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to be able to grant a runoff waiver. I'm happy to speak to other athletic directors at their new schools and see if we can't figure out something else. But I think part of that, too, is McLaughlin's got to stand up for VCU. He's got to support his own coach. And he's also kind of talking to his other players. So if any of you other guys are thinking about transferring, we're going to oppose that. So think long and hard about that. The deadline is passed. And then, of course, they didn't make a new – they didn't bring uh, McElroy in until August. And so I think McLaughlin did the only thing he could, which was kind of back up his coach. And he made some public comments that were of some concern. So Mississippi State leads the way here. And the waivers were granted. So Tower Davis and Connor Hyzak will be officially eligible to compete for Mississippi State in the 2023 college baseball season. And in case you're math challenged, that's the next season. That's what we're going to start in February. It's almost 2023, right? It's not a year from now. It's two months from now. So 
that's big for Mississippi State because Tower Davis, obviously a left-hander that can do some important things. And when I spoke to Lavonis about him uh, a few weeks back, he said the thing that he loved about Ty Davis is he said, Coach, I want the ball when the game is on the line. A lot of people want to start. A lot of people say, well, I want to be a closer or a middle reliever. Ty just said, I want the ball whenever the game is on the line. And that's what you want. Now, Connor Hyzak is a guy that hit a dozen home runs at VCU. And if you know much about VCU, it's one of the biggest ballparks in the country. It's a former minor league park. And so they're playing there. And so his home run numbers could potentially increase this year playing at Duty Noble Field. I mean, basically, if you hit a hard line drive to the left, there's a chance that thing might get out. We, we've lived with that, the good and the bad. But now that's behind us. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. It's all taken care of. These guys are good to go. They went through fall. And, uh, you know, Amani Larry is another guy that was a little bit banged up for us, didn't swing the bat much in the second half of fall, but played some defensively. Will Hoyle is a guy that got some reps at third, and he's kind of your utility guy. Excited about him. Nate Dome is a guy, obviously, that um, could be in the mix to start, but could also be that reliever. And talking to Fox, and talking to Scott Fox all a couple months back, it's one of the things he talked about is, you know, kind of what we'd like to get back to, you know, is get that quality start and then just piece it together. You, can you give me three outs? And then we go to the next guy. Then you, you pass it to the next guy. And then, uh, then you hand the ball over to Aaron Nixon. You know, State did not have a bona fide closer last year. Now you do with Aaron Nixon. Guy was a freshman All-American there at Texas. And they tinkered a little bit last year with his delivery. He's right back to his freshman form. Guy was outstanding in the fall. Everybody that I talked to, of course, Mike Nemeth went and covered the fall scrimmages for us at Gene's Page. And uh, he's doing some review articles now, kind of position-wide. Infielders, pitchers, outfielders. You can, if you're a Gene's Page subscriber, you can go read those right now. But Nixon is the guy. And he has the emotional – and mental makeup to be a closer. That's one of the things we struggled with last year is having guys that can, could compete when the game was on the line. You have that in Aaron Nixon. Uh, Landon Gartman's a guy, too, that we expect to be to compete for a spot on a weekend. Maybe he's a middle reliever. Maybe he's a starter. We'll see. He went 7-1 and one last year for Memphis on a team that had a losing record. Was an AAC uh, first-team selection. And if memory serves me correct, I believe he was the AAC pitcher of the year. On a losing team. Bogachita, Mississippi native, happy to have him as part of our program. And then uh, Colton Ledbetter. That's a guy that everybody's talking about. A lot of people are saying that he could be a R.J. Yeager or even better. Colton Ledbetter was the best offensive player at Sanford last year. A team to beat Mississippi State, one of the most miserable nights of the year. We'll go over there and lose to Sanford, have, give up two grand slams in the game. Uh, Ledbetter is the real deal. A lot of scouts have shared with me this guy has a pro baseball future ahead of him. Uh, we're excited to have him as part of our program. And then there's Nate Chester, another utility guy that comes in from junior college after a year at Missouri. Simon Missouri had the rotator cuff injury, worked his way back. They bring in a guy from the portal as a stopgap guy, and Nate said, you know what, i got to get on the field somewhere, transfers to junior college, player of the year for his team, and now he's here. And so this is a guy obviously is competing, providing some depth. And there were some times last year, you know, we needed to give some guys a day off. And, you know, then, of course, there's a Tanner Leggett that's gone. And so you need somebody to fill that role, a guy that can step in and play second or play short and play third. And between Nate Chester and Will Hull, you can do that. Nate has played more at third. But let me give you my idea right now of what I expect the opening day lineup to look like. A lot of people ask those questions. 
I think at first base is Hunter Hines. Now, Hunter uh, had an injury in the fall, nothing major. He'll be back. You know, he, he was a guy that had a hand injury last year, played through that much of the year. That's why he didn't go play in the Cape. He was healing up, and then he banged himself up a little bit. But he will be your everyday first baseman. Amani Larry will be the second baseman. Talking to Nemo, Nemo is so incredibly impressed with his kid's athleticism. He's a stolen base threat. He's the guy that understands playing second base. He also is not a second baseman and thinks he's a shortstop. You need guys like that that have that mental ability and say, you know what, hey, I'm going to play within myself. This is what I'm good at. This is where I play. Amani Larry, of course, uh, you know, great pedigree. His dad was a huge player at uh, Louisiana Lafayette, was on that Omaha team for the Raging Cajuns. So he's grown up around baseball. This is a, a great get for Mississippi State. Shortstop, uh, which still going to be Lane Forsyth. One of the best defensive shortstops in the country. And, and people want to argue with me, and I just say, you know what, let's just go look at the numbers. Look at his arm strength. Look at the range. Is he perfect? No, he's not. This is guy is a sure enough big-time defender. This is a guy that understands that baseball is a right-to-left game. You, you, you go get the baseball, you put that right foot in the ground and create some energy, and you fire that pill across the, across the diamond. He is outstanding doing that. And people forget, uh, Lane made the all-college World Series team in Omaha. He had the one big game offensively against Vanderbilt in game two of the uh, College World Series final. But I don't know that he gets enough credit. You know, he's a guy, too, if you begin to think about it, man, if we could just find a way to squeeze out a few more points in that batting average with him hitting ninth and having you know, good speed, that gives you basically an extra leadoff guy. So when you get late in the ball games, you've got a guy like him that can work the count, a guy whose pitch recognition did get better last year. There were some times as a freshman he looked at it, lost the plate, got off to a big start, and people kind of figured out, hey, you can't disagree with this guy fastballs. And last year I thought he became more of a polished hitter. Need him to make another jump this year, but you feel good about him. And Slate offered one of the biggest stories of the Summer League Baseball uh, Tour was Slate Alford, who ended up being an all-star uh, in his league out there. This is a guy that's kind of figured it out. That was the concern with him. You knew what he had defensively, but could he adjust to college pitching? He took a big jump this summer, had a great fall, so we're excited about that. So from third, short, to second, to first, Slate Alford, Lane Forsythe, Amani Larry, and Hunter Hines. I think offensively that group really gives you something too. Now Lane, of course, obviously more of a plus defender than an offensive player, but if you get what you got out of him last year, I think he'd be pleased. The outfield spots are still somewhat open, but I do think Connor Hysack, a converted shortstop, will play left. He's a long, lean, physical defender. You need his bat in a lineup. Uh, he could DH for you some, and maybe that opens up a spot for Dakota Jordan to play some. Dakota Jordan uh, may be the most impressive freshman of the fall. Maybe. The guy right behind him, though, David Marchand. And people did, a lot of people don't know this, but Marshawn turned down some money late in the draft on day three to come to college. This is a guy, too, right out of high school, putting the ball in play. You know, and, he, and I think maybe long-term he's going to be a better offensive player than Lane. Lane's a little bit ahead of him right now defensively. But I think we're going to be in good shape with David Marshawn moving forward as our shortstop. But Hyzak was not, um, you know, the best defensive shortstop. So you take a guy like that. It's an athlete that can get you double-digit home runs, maybe get you 50, 60 ribbies, and you put him out there and left, and he's been able to hold that down. But, again, if he ends up DHing, Dakota Jordan certainly capable of getting out there playing. Dakota Jordan's a future Major League Baseball player, again, provided he stays healthy. 
Colton Ledbetter took most of the reps in center. Dakota Jordan took some too. So maybe when you need to maybe give a guy a day off, Dakota Jordan can play either center or, or left. But you have some options. And there were times last year where it felt like we didn't really have a lot of options out there. We, we played a lot of names in center field, but nobody could ever just take the job and run with it. And we had a lot of players that went out there and played. And center field, by and large, was an offensive you know, shortfall for this team. And people forget we even had Brad Compass playing some in, in, in center because he's one of your better athletes, one of your better defenders, and you know, just couldn't track the ball as well in center as he could as a corner outfielder. But Colton Ledbetter can do that. And uh, he should be able to hold things down. We're excited about him. Kellum Clark did not swing a bat uh, in the fall much at all. Uh, got hit while he was in the Cape, and that's something that lingered, so they were real careful with him. But uh, we expect him to be back. And you start running the math there. You start thinking about double-digit home runs, from all three of your outfielders, perhaps double-digit home runs from Slade Alford, perhaps double-digit home runs from Hunter Hines, and then Amani Larry is a guy that's also capable of hitting double-digit home runs. And then there's Luke Hancock, who has been basically your everyday catcher. And that was kind of the plan for him coming back, is can we get Luke Hancock back? We need his leadership. You feel a whole lot better about catching. You feel great about the future with Ross Highfield. He's not the only guy you signed, but Ross is a guy, too, that turned down some big money to come to college. And so you begin to think about, okay, is Luke a double-digit home run guy? Well, I think he is, especially with more people heading around him. And I think, too, guys like Cam James and Luke Hancock, I think they felt the weight of trying to repeat last year. Well, that's been completely removed now, right, because Ole Miss won the NFL championship last year. And so I think this is a team, when you begin to think about it, it can – this be a team that gels together quickly. You know, baseball is an individual sport. You know, it's, it's played by a team, but everybody has to do their individual part. And I think, by and large, when you look at this team on paper right now and you look at this team based on what they did in the fall, this is a better baseball team than you had last year. You can say, but, Steve, we returned all those guys from Omaha. Yes, we did, but you had a lot of role players kind of transitioning into leadership roles for the first time, and some of those guys really struggled with that. But when you begin to think about guys like Hunter Isaac and Colton Ledbetter, they have already done this against Division I pitching. Amani Larry has already done this against major, against uh, big-time pitching <clears throat> in college baseball. So Hunter Hines got to get him healthy, got to keep him healthy. Guy's a bulldog through and through. And you start running the numbers here and you start thinking about this could be a very offensive lineup. Now these pitching roles still have to be defined. I think Cade Smith obviously is is one of your guys. But kind of the talk of fall has been Parker Stinnett. Now, Parker Stinnett really faded down the stretch last year before they finally pulled him. And some of that's because he was trying to pitch through, you know, some some hangups. You know, he eventually had to just shut it down because he was injured. But there were times last year, people forget Parker Stinnett was a national pitcher of the week. You know, this is a guy that has the ability, but consistently was probably the best pitcher in the fall. And many of our fans have kind of given up on him. So now all of a sudden you get Cade Smith, you get Sinet, and let's say Gartman gets one of those spots. You know, we'll see. That will be figured out in our preseason once the guys get back on the field, you know, uh, once the spring semester starts. But I think the thing that I'm probably most excited about is the bullpen. You know, that was kind of the, the bane of this team last year. You know, where does KC Hunt 
fit in now? Does Casey Hunt go back to the weekend as a starter? Does Casey Hunt become one of your long relievers? KC is a dude now. now. People forget KC had to turn down money to come back, but he did. So I think you have more options in the bullpen. Last year we had some injuries, and uh, Bradley Lofton, our highly heralded freshman pitcher from DeSoto Central, was the guy that walked off the field. We don't know the extent of that injury. You know, we hope it's not season-ending. We've had enough of that to last us a decade or so, right? But you have some options now from a pitching standpoint that you didn't have last year. You didn't have really a weekend rotation. Your Kate Smith was your best pitcher, and he was, uh, you know, a guy at times that uh, was really good. And other times you had to ride him longer than you wanted to because of the fact that you, you just didn't have much in the bullpen. But what if we could live a life where we go out there and Cade Smith gives us six consistent innings on a weekend, gets you through the order a couple times, maybe two and a half, maybe as many as three times, and then you turn it over to a bullpen where Nate Dom can get you three outs and then maybe Casey Hunt gets you three outs and then uh, Aaron Nixon gets you three outs. Now all of a sudden it feels a lot like it did in 2021 from a pitching standpoint. I don't know if we have the same level of talent, but you know this time two years ago – as we're talking about all this, we didn't know what Christian McLeod was going to look like. And, and Christian actually you know, had the better year in 2020, one of the better pitchers in the country. And then people had a lot of time to kind of sit and study his mechanics, kind of figure him out. Eric Sarantola, we weren't sure what he was going to be and ultimately left the rotation. And who knew that Will Bednar was going to end up being the greatest pitcher in Bulldog postseason history? We just didn't know that two years ago. And that's the thing I think about, too, is you got to think with as many guys as we signed through the transfer portal in a recruiting class, you got to feel like you've got some pieces that were not available to you last year. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Colby Holcomb, too. This is a big physical power arm. Another guy that could work in as a starter, could work in as a middle reliever. You, you just simply have some options. And that's a guy, too. Again, Cade Smith may give you five or six, and then Colby gives you two. You start bridging this thing together and you begin to realize the potential for this team to kind of be right back where we expect them to be exists. And I think the fall really validated that. And Mike Nemeth is a guy that I trust. Mike, I will tell you, I, I love Mike, but there are times that Mike is maybe a little more measured in his comments than I am. I won't say that he's negative, but Mike is a little more, hey, let's kind of wait and see. So when Mike Nemeth tells me, this Jordan Davis kid's going to be outstanding, this David Marchand kid's going to be outstanding. It, it, my ears kind of perk up a little bit because he's not a guy to throw around praise like that. And again, Mike saw but all but one scrimmage. I went and covered some football stuff. He stayed behind uh, to cover baseball. So I think we feel like we have done what we needed to do in the portal. No, we didn't get Paul Skeens. We're still, we're still sore about that because he's at LSU and he had a huge fall uh, for LSU. If you get Paul Skeens in your lineup at Mississippi State right now, you're thinking, hey, we're probably top eight national seed. I mean, you've got that kind of ability. Without him, you're still probably in the hosting discussion. And so I, I don't think this is going to be like a rebuild where, okay, well, we were terrible last year down the stretch and we'll be like part of the way back. I think this is a roster that can get you right back. And that's what Chris Simonis wants, and that's the benefit of having the portal. And a lot of our fans – very anti-transfer portal. Like, all oh, these guys leave. Guys, if we did not have the transfer portal this year, Mississippi State baseball would be looking at another very, very, very difficult year. That's the reality of life. 
And so while we may hate the portal and we talk about, oh, well, you know, when I was a kid, this is what we did. You know, a lot's changed since you were a kid, a lot. You know, we got the Internet now. In addition to that, you know, young people now have the opportunity to move. And some of these guys are older guys that are basically grad transfers. But if we didn't have the portal, we'd be facing another difficult year. You can say, well, you never know. The reality of it is, without these names that we mentioned, we talked about, you know, Ledbetter and Isaac and Imani Larry. Guys, that's three starters right there. That's three positional starters with the potential to hit double-digit home runs and really change your offense that would not have been available to us. When you begin to think about this pitching staff, Aaron Nixon's your projected closer. Nate Dom is a guy that's a hard-throwing guy. You'd expect – Landon Gartman's a guy, too, that's expected to give you big innings. Tyler Davis, another guy. You wouldn't have had those guys available to you. You just wouldn't. You'd had to go hit the junior college ranks and try to get an older guy and hope for the best. And we've seen how many times have we seen those JUCO guys sometimes need half a year to figure it out because they're, many of them are facing future professional hitters in this league. And so you go out and get guys that now have some seasoning. And I think it's, you can, I think it's okay right now for you Bulldog fans to expect more this year. It was an abysmal end of the year last year. You know, we, we win that series against Ole Miss, and even though we had already dropped some things earlier that we shouldn't have, we thought, hey, we're, we're good. We're going to get to Hoover. We will be a road regional team somewhere. We're going to be okay. And then down the stretch, it was Ole Miss that got hot rather than us. And we dropped some games. And a lot of that, too, is because the wear and tear of the season just really took the, the juice out of a pitching staff that just didn't have a lot of answers. You got a lot more answers this year. And I think, you know, Scott, people say, oh, Fox Hall needs to go. I mean, give me a break. Do you know what that guy dealt with last year? I mean, you lose Casey Hunt for six weeks. You lose Landon Simmons for the year. You lose Stone Simmons for the year. You lose Brooks Auger for the year. You know, when all of a sudden you lose, you know, two-thirds of your starting rotation within the first two weeks of the season, you got to piece it together. Then on top of that, some of your, your prime relievers, you know, like Stone, right, Brooks Auger, you lose those guys too. It's like it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like everything went right for us in 2021, and then everything went wrong for us in 2022. We just need a few things to go right for us this year, and we're right back in the mix. And this is going to be an offensive lineup that I think people are going to be scared to pitch to. I really do. I don't think there's many holes in this lineup. And, again, until they get on the field and face SEC competition, you don't truly know. But the reality of it is, is I'd much rather have that guy with three years of college experience under his belt than have to break in a freshman. It's so difficult to break in a freshman. And usually you can do that, you know, at select positions or maybe pitching-wise. But the reality of Mississippi State's situation is we had so many holes and we had so many needs, the transfer portal has really bailed us out. And I think our staff's done a great job with a transfer portal. And I think you could argue one of the best transfer portal classes in the country. And had you got Paul Skeens, without a doubt, would be the best transfer portal class in the country. But, again, you don't need these guys to come in and be stars. You need them to come in here and be major contributors, and they certainly can be. And you begin to think about, like, we talk about the R.J. Yeager comparisons. You, you, what if you had three of those guys? R.J. Yeager ended up being a Ferris Trophy nominee last year, a finalist. What if you had three of those guys? And that's literally what you have offensively. You have three guys – that were huge offensive leaders at their previous programs, not just last year, but the last couple of years. And so they have done it on a Division One level. And so it gives you, you know, some confidence 
that those guys are going to help uh, turn the program around. And uh, I'm excited about baseball. I'm excited about what's left in football. You know, we've got a month left of football, and we'll be in the postseason. And then as soon as those bowl games are over, we're going to be thinking about, you know, national signing day, obviously. And then it'll be college baseball season. I'm ready to get back out to Duty Noble Field. There's no question about it. I'm ready to get back out there. I, I hate that I, I can't cover more fall scrimmages. And, and I'm the boss now, right? So maybe I can adjust that kind of moving forward. But the reality of it is, is we are a baseball school that loves baseball. And uh, I was talking to one of my good friends earlier today. He goes, Mississippi State fans simply have an insatiable appetite when it comes to college baseball. And as Mike Nemeth says, there's a hungry dog out there, and we're more than willing to feed it. We're going to give you guys information that nobody, people aren't going to have. That's one of the reasons we go cover those fall scrimmages. It's important to you guys. It's, it's the reason the 1,000 people show up to go watch a college baseball scrimmage game. It's because you love Mississippi State baseball. You love being at Dirty Noble Field. And those of you that can't make it, we want to fill you in on what's going on. And so I, I think we feel really good about the direction of things right now. Uh, I love our coaching staff, and I, you know, I'll always be grateful to those guys for delivering our first-ever NFL championship. But they also assembled that team in many respects. They did inherit some players, but they also went out and got some other players. I mean, guys like Will Bednar. I mean, Scott Foxhall's very first recruiting visit as a Mississippi State coach was to go see Will Bednar. A lot of times people forget that. And I think when you look at our coach, if you've been around Jake, you've been around Lim, you've been around Fox, you've been around <clears throat> Cheese, you begin to realize, you know, these guys know what they're doing, but they're also great ambassadors for Mississippi State, and they're going to get this thing turned around this year. That's one of the things that Gotro and I talked about, you know, in the offseason. You know, a lot of people were pursuing Jay Gotro, and he goes, you know what, the time is going to come, but this isn't it. He goes, I I'm going to get this fixed first. I'm going to get this fixed first. And I think it's a very unselfish action on behalf of Jake Gotro because it's been very easy for Jake to say, you know what, it's a mess here at Mississippi State. I don't want to have to deal with this. I'll just leave. I'll just go. And uh, good news, too, it looks like that the, there's going to be a change, too, uh, with coaching that we're going to be able to pay the volunteer assistant coach. And that's one of the things that should have happened a long time ago. I won't even take the time to talk about scholarships today. But it's good to know that we are starting to make some progress when it comes to the advancement of college baseball. All right, that's it for today. But if you hadn't done so, go to Dogpile the Book. We, my publisher tells me you get, we get, we're selling a lot more Dogpile again. It's a holiday season. Maybe you couldn't get it last Christmas. You're getting it this year. Maybe that's what you are as a book buyer at Christmas. So be able to get personalized and sign copies of Dogpile. You can go to dogpilethebook.com. While you're there, all of my sports books are at the same URL. Dogpile the Book. You can get Flim Flam. You can get Stark Villains. You can get Alpha Dogs. We're nearly sold out of Stark Villains. And so you need to take full advantage of that because they won't be in print next year. So unless you can find one somewhere, you're going to be out of it. But you can get your own brand-new personalized copy through Dogpile the Book. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and at least once a week somebody hits me up and asks me about that, whether it be the book signing, oh, where's Blooms? You can get it at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com, or through your local bookstore. And as always, Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. T-shirts, hoodies, everything else. And I've had a couple of you hit me up and say, hey, Steve, were you serious about getting some thongs? No, no. Should I be? Silly. We couldn't get all that on there. Nevertheless, thanks for your interest and your support as always. We look forward to seeing you guys soon. Enjoy your weekend. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>